Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Hey, Sabbath greetings, everyone. It's truly a pleasure to be here today, and I'm grateful to be here and to have this opportunity. It's good to see Bob Ivey and his family, and I ran into him in the parking lot, and he asked me, he told me that he started to text me and ask me who was supposed to speak today. And I said, yeah. And uh, he said, oh, well, I guess we'll find out. And I said, yeah, I guess. (laughs) So I thought it would be fun to do that. (laughs) So um, I made a few remarks on Colossians chapter 2 when I spoke about should we keep Yahweh's feast days? And the conclusion was that we should. Uh, And that was back in April, so that's been five months ago. But I had some things to cover on Colossians 2 that day, and I didn't get to because of time constraints. And once I got to the second chapter of Colossians that day, I had to fly through it. And I I think I spent about three minutes on it. But Colossians 2 is a chapter that deserves a lot more attention than that. And so I've been thinking that, well, I would like to... Uh, someday, Yahweh willing, uh, bring a message about just the second chapter of Colossians. And so that's what I want to attempt to do today. And uh, please pardon me if I sniffle or cough any uh, and get any Kleenex or maybe get some extra sips of water. I've had, uh, I've had some allergies, some seasonal allergies that uh, have hit me really hard this week, but, uh, but thankfully I'm I am somewhat better today, so I'm very appreciative of that, and and I would appreciate your prayers also. May this be honoring to Yahweh and and informative and encouraging to us. So, by way of introduction, I would like to start out by saying that among the important reasons to review Colossians 2 are the following. It is commonly asserted that verse 14 indicates that Yahweh's law is abolished. Verse 14, which says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the stake. Another reason, verse 16, indicates that Yahweh's feast days and the Sabbath are abolished. Again, I'm saying what is commonly asserted here. And so verse 16 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. And it's also commonly taught that in verses 20 through 21 that these verses indicate that the scriptural dietary laws are abolished. Therefore, if you died with Messiah from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. And so I would, as we delve into Colossians 2, I would like to bring out that a careful study of Colossians 2 warrants considering the context of the entire chapter. And... That's why, that's why I wanted to go through this, uh, as I mentioned when I spoke about the feast days, is because I believe that to really, to really have a good understanding of Colossians chapter 2, you have to go through and examine the context of the entire chapter 
and keep track of what's going on uh, as the chapter progresses. And so in taking a look at the context of Colossians 2, I suggest taking the context in three parts. Part one, which is verses one through eight, where Paul warns against deceivers. Part two, verses nine through 17, which talks about living like Messiah and observing the Torah. And part three, verses 18 through 23, where a warning against deceivers is repeated. The context of Colossians 2 refers not only to the Messiah, but also to deceivers of whom Paul warned the Colossians. Highlighting the text of Colossians 2 with different colors makes these references easier to see. And so I hope that that will kind of help keep us on track today. So in my quotations of Colossians 2, blue highlights relate to the Messiah and red, or in this case, what I'd like to refer to as warning highlights. You know, red is kind of a common warning color. When you come up to that big red stop sign, it's, you better stop. Or when you see the red traffic light, it's warning you that you better stop. And so I've chosen to uh, highlight some of the text of Colossians chapter 2 today in red for to be warning highlights which relate to deceivers. So with that, let's move on to part one of the context, verses one through eight, warning against deceivers. And so I'll read some of these verses and from time to time I will uh, interject my comments. But to begin with here, let's uh, read verses one through three. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of Yahweh, both of the Father and of Messiah, in whom are hidden all the treasure, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then I would just interject a comment here to note that in verse 4, Paul informs us of his intent in this chapter. He says, now this I say, lest anyone. Remember that term, anyone, as we go through this chapter, because it will come into play later. This I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And so we have the red warning highlight there. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Messiah. And so there we see the blue highlighting referring to the Messiah. As you have therefore received Messiah Yeshua, the Master, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Those highlights, I, can, I wanted to turn around and see how well they were showing up. I apologize if the text is a little bit difficult to, to see through the highlighting there. But continuing with verse 8, once again, Paul warns about not letting anyone cheat you. He says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Messiah. So there we have sort of the introduction to the second chapter of Colossians. 
And Paul warns us about deceivers. So we move on to part two of the context, verses 9 through 17, living like the Messiah and observing Torah. So beginning with uh, verse 9, a statement is made, for in him dwells all the fullness of the deity bodily. My comments, Yahweh placed the Messiah in an important position as head of the body of believers. I just want to jump ahead right quick and read verse 19 in relation to this. It says, And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from Yahweh. And so Paul addresses the idea that the body of believers are supposed to hold fast to the head and that things work in order that way. However, fullness dwelling in the Messiah does not make him deity, just as fullness dwelling in believers does not make them deity. Compare the following verses, Ephesians 3.19. To know the love of Messiah which passes knowledge that you, that is, believers, may be filled with all the fullness of Elohim. And so there we see that believers are to be filled with all the fullness of Elohim. 2 Corinthians 6.16 And what agreement has the temple of Elohim with idols? For you, that is, believers, are the temple of the living Elohim. As Elohim has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their Elohim and they shall be my people. And so you see, Elohim is to indwell believers. Also 2 Peter 1.4 by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you, that is, believers, may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so the way Peter words it is that believers are to be partakers of the divine nature. That's what we are to have in us. Additionally, Yeshua called his father the only true Elohim, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true Elohim, and Yeshua Messiah whom you have sent. Also compare 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one Elohim and one mediator between Elohim and men, the man, Messiah, Yeshua. Returning to Colossians 2, we pick up with verse 10. And you are complete in Him, speaking of the Messiah, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Messiah. I want to make a few comments about this. The circumcision made without hands does not abolish the covenant of circumcision Yahweh established with Abraham. That can be found in Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14. Even in the Torah and the prophets, circumcision of the heart is to accompany physical circumcision. And circumcision of the heart is much like the circumcision that baptism provides. It's a commitment uh, to follow Yahweh. So in Deuteronomy 16, now bear in mind, once again, this is straight from the Torah. And we have physical circumcision in the Torah, and we also find that Yahweh wanted them to be circumcised of the heart. Deuteronomy 10, 16. 
Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And Yahweh your Elohim will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Jeremiah 4, 4, Circumcise yourselves to Yahweh and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Also a prophetic passage found in Ezekiel chapter 44 verses 4 through 9 says, Also he brought me by the way of the north gate to the front of the temple. So I looked and behold, the glory of Yahweh filled the house of Yahweh and I fell on my face. And Yahweh said to me, Son of man, mark well, see with your eyes and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the ordinances of the house of Yahweh and all its laws. Mark well who may enter the house and all who go out from the sanctuary. Now I say to the rebellious, to the house of Israel, thus says the master Yahweh, O house of Israel, let us have no more of all your abominations. When you brought in foreigners uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary to defile it, my house. And when you offered my food, the fat and the blood, then they broke my covenant because of all your abominations. And you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. Thus says the Master Yahweh, No foreigner uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. And so we see by reading the Torah and the prophets that the idea of physical circumcision and the idea of being circumcised in heart are compatible with one another. And it's the same way with baptism, which is circumcision made without hands, and physical circumcision, which is continuing that covenant that Yahweh made with Abraham. They're not against one another, they're compatible with one another. In Acts 21, 17 through 26, we find an interesting situation. Paul went through a Torah-prescribed Nazarite purification to prove that he had been falsely accused of teaching against the law, including the covenant of circumcision. So let's read that in Acts 21, verses 17 through 26. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which Yahweh had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Master, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they all are zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, speaking of Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. And I have a little bracketed inserted comment there that we are going to find out that these are false accusations that were made against Paul. And we're going to see that verified in verse 24. And so the idea that 
that Paul taught to forsake Moses, that he taught against circumcision, uh, these are false accusations. So, continuing with verse 22, What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing. So here's verse 24 where we find this confirmation that Paul was falsely accused and that these things that were said about him were nothing. And so the brethren wanted Paul then to go through this Nazarite purification process in the temple to prove that he upheld Moses and the Torah. But that you, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. By the way, I would mention that the Hebrew word Torah means instruction and teaching. Certainly it contains a lot of commandments, it contains a lot of laws, and so it's common, commonly referred to as the law. But when we talk about the Torah, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the first five books of the Bible, the books that Moses authored, and it contained the commandments which Yahweh gave directly to Israel and also contained commandments which Yahweh gave to Moses to in turn give to Israel. You remember, if you recall, when Yahweh spoke directly to Israel, they got scared and they said, we don't want to do this anymore. I'm paraphrasing. But basically they said, we don't want to do this anymore. You go and talk to him and then you tell us uh, what he has to say. So continuing here with... Uh, our chapter that we're looking at in Acts chapter 21, verse 25, it said, the brethren continue to say, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Notice that I have a, a strike through on one of the phrases there, which says, that they should observe no such thing except. There's textual evidence to show that that phrase is not authentic, that it doesn't belong in the text. And it really doesn't make any sense to belong in the text because they're talking about, as we've already covered, that they want Paul to go through this process to show that the things that he's been accused of are false and that he himself walks orderly and keeps the law. And so it makes no sense then that they would turn around and say, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, that is, these converts, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except. And then it goes on to mention these four things about offered to idols, blood, things strangled, and from sexual immorality. By the way, something else that tells us that this doesn't fit is that every one of those four things that they mentioned are from the law of Moses. Think about that a minute. Every one of those four things that were mentioned there are from the law of Moses. So it makes no sense to say, we're going to tell them don't follow the law of Moses, but then we're going to turn around and say, well, do follow the law of Moses, at least on these four points. And so once again, these, these, uh, there's evidence that these are added words and that they shouldn't be in the text. And uh, many modern translations 
recognize this, and they don't have it in the text. The uh, text that I'm reading from is the New King James Version, as I customarily do, uh, unless otherwise noted. But this is the New King James Version here. And so then, as we continue in verse 26, notice Paul's action. Not just his word, but his action. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. And then even later, Paul referred back to these actions in his defense before Felix. And that's later in Acts chapter 24, verses 17 through 18. He says, Now after many years I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. And so again, Paul went through this temple purification process to prove that he himself walked orderly, that he kept the law, that he respected the law of Moses, which is actually the law of Yahweh. Yahweh, as I mentioned earlier, Yahweh spoke to the people directly. They did not want to have that kind of communication with him. And so then Yahweh spoke to the people through Moses. But it was Yahweh's commandments. And I just want to make a note here that regarding other passages where at first glance Paul seems to write against circumcision, this is because Paul was against those who approached circumcision as though it gave them justification for their sins. It is beyond the scope of this study to cover all of those passages now, but please remember this fact when reading Paul. And so returning to Colossians 2, we pick up with verse 12. <clears throat> Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of Yahweh, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the stake. Please note that verse 13 mentions the forgiveness of trespasses. The forgiveness of trespasses. That's an important marker in the context before we go on with verse 14. Verse 14 then describes how those trespasses are forgiven. And it's by wiping out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Handwriting is translated from the term chirographon, and refers to a legal bond standing against us. In other words, it is the penalty due for our transgressions, which was paid and taken out of the way, not the laws governing right and wrong. For example, suppose you receive a parking ticket, and then you arrive at the courthouse only to discover that someone else has already paid the penalty. 
This generous act cancels the penalty against you, but it does not abolish the law against overparking and its associated fine. John confirms that the Messiah takes away sin, not Yahweh's law. 1 John 3, 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Taking from Yahweh's word, however, is a sin. Deuteronomy 4.2 You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your Elohim which I command you. Deuteronomy 12.32 Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. If the Messiah's final act was to abolish the law, then he took away from Yahweh's word because that's where that law resides. It's part of Yahweh's word. And that would be a sin. But he did not do this. He did not do this. Also be aware of the erroneous two laws doctrine, which teaches that, and I quote, there were two laws given at Mount Sinai, the one by Moses and the other, the perfect law, the Ten Commandments, by Yahweh. The one, that is Moses' law, having fulfilled its purpose, ended at the death of Yahshua, while the other one, the Ten Commandment law, is still holy, just, and good to give a knowledge of sin. It was the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Now, here, the writer of this article that I'm quoting, he refers directly to what we are reading in Colossians chapter 2. And he says, It was the law of commandments contained in ordinances found in the book of the law of Moses and not the Ten Commandments that was abolished by Yahshua. These quotations were taken from an unsigned, undated article entitled The Two Laws, The Ten Commandments, and the Book of the Law. And I would like to just uh, show you, if I can, yeah, I guess that's showing up pretty decently. Uh, this article consists of about seven pages, and it was something that was handed to me several years ago. And so this is a representation of this doctrine that's out there that I wanted to say that we need to be aware of. The two laws, the Ten Commandments, and the Book of the Law. And so what this doctrine teaches is that the book of the law of Moses, that that was abolished at Yeshua's stake, while the Ten Commandment law continues on. But we need to be aware of that because as we've already covered in the context of Colossians chapter 2, it's not, it's not the Torah. It's not the laws of the Bible. It's not Yahweh's law, whether he gave directly or gave through Moses, that have been taken out of the way. It's the penalty for our transgressions that have been taken out of the way. And I would recommend to never read Colossians 2.14 without first reading Colossians 2.13 in context with it. Because 13 once again mentions having forgiven you all trespasses and then 14 goes on to describe how those trespasses are forgiven. That penalty was paid and so it's taken out of your way. <clears throat>
In response to the two laws notion, we have already noted that it is the penalty due for our transgressions which was paid and taken out of the way, not the Torah. Furthermore, Scripture uses the book of the law of Moses, the law of Elohim, and the book of the law of Yahweh interchangeably. Thus, Moses' law is Yahweh's law. Numerous scriptures could be cited, but here's a sampling. Nehemiah 8, 1 and 8, and also Nehemiah 9, 3. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which Yahweh had commanded Israel. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of Elohim, and they gave the sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. Next chapter, Nehemiah 9, verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of Yahweh. In this, in, in this instance, it calls it the book of the law of Yahweh instead of the book of the law of Moses. These terms are interchangeable. They're the same thing. So, read from the book of the law of Yahweh, their Elohim, for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped Yahweh, their Elohim. Returning to Colossians 2 again, we pick up with verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can see that there, but remember I talked about, remember the term anyone. Well, here we find the term no one, very much like anyone. But Paul is again warning us here about deceivers. And he says, so let no one judge you. And there's that red warning color that I put there to help us track it. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Messiah. Some additional comments. <clears throat> The things mentioned in verse 16, please notice that all those things that are mentioned in verse 16 are scriptural observances. They come from the scriptures. In contrast to the other types of things that Paul warns us about in this chapter, which are man-made philosophies and traditions mentioned in the other parts of this chapter. The Messiah kept Yahweh's commandments. Uh, hopefully, we all remember Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, where Yeshua made the remark that, Do not think that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So fulfill doesn't mean destroy. Fulfill means to do, to fill it up. And he did that, and he didn't destroy it. And it is in the Messiah in whom we are to walk, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And we saw that back in verses 6 and 7 of this chapter of Colossians 2. So if we are to be a follower, follower of him, we should emulate him. We should walk as he walked. And that's what a disciple does. A disciple emulates his leader. Therefore, we are to let no one judge us for keeping the things mentioned in verse 16, 
which have their substance in the Messiah, instead of empty philosophies and traditions, which have their substance in man. Put another way, we are to let no one, there's that term again, no one, we are to let no one judge us for practicing what is grounded in Scripture. So Paul is really telling us over and over again in this chapter, be on your guard. And if someone comes along that would dissuade you from doing these things, then just be all the more determined to do them. Don't let go. Don't let go. Hold fast. Now there is this uh, phrase, shadows of things to come. And I want to point out that if festivals and Sabbaths foreshadow a glorious future, does this make them bad? No. There is value in looking ahead to the wonderful things to come as we practice the things that we do today. Let's compare that to Philippians 3.14. It says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Yahweh and Messiah Yeshua. So we see here from Philippians 3.14 that Paul had something to look forward to that was glorious. And we have that same thing to look forward to as we trudge along in our daily lives today. But there's a, there's a grand reward that, that we should have our eyes set upon. So be cautious. Paul warns us of those who will judge us for observing Yahweh's calendar, including His weekly and annual Sabbaths. Regarding food and drink, the same type of person might also judge you for setting at a sumptuous festive meal at one of Yahweh's feasts. Why might they do that? As seen in the remainder of this chapter, one of the man-made philosophies that Paul warns against is extreme and severe self-denial. And so we're going to see that as we examine the context of the last part of this chapter. But that's, that's why uh, that food and drink that's how it could come into play in this whole situation because it mentioned in, in reference to food and drink or festival or Sabbath. And so, and so this is how food and drink could enter the picture. And so with that, let's move on to part three of the context, verses 18 through 20, uh, 23, where we have a warning against deceivers repeated. Let no one, there's that, there's that term again, we're not supposed to let anyone come in and dissuade us from doing the things of Yahweh. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from Yahweh. Therefore, if you died with Messiah from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. And so here we have this reference to those who would deceive us. Beware lest anyone should deceive us. 
And then he talks about these things that are according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So this idea of do not touch, do not taste, do not handle in verse 21 is according to the commandments and doctrine of men, according to the statement in verse 22. Therefore, these demands have nothing to do with the laws of Scripture. Instead, they refer to man-made restrictions, which the context continues to address. And we're going to see that here in verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And so, and so you see, we get the information here that in regards to these commandments and teachings of men, there were certain things that they set up about do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. And this was, this was a form of, of self-deprivation. But once again, we see from the context that this is what it was about. In no way does it reference the scriptural dietary laws such that we should not eat pork. So as I mentioned earlier, Paul here warns us against extreme and severe self-denial. A term for this is asceticism or ascetic behavior. For example, if you observe someone rigorous in their devotion and self-abasement to the point of extreme and severe neglect of their body, this is actually bizarre behavior, which we should be careful to avoid. Verse 23 informs us that these things are actually of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. That is, these falsely motivated external shows of rigor really do nothing to curb carnality. To truly deal with carnality, we need to have a change of heart and hold fast to the Messiah. Colossians 2 shows the contrast between the Messiah with true teachings and men with false teachings. In contrast with false self-denial, Paul goes on to address true self-denial in chapter 3. And so let's read from Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. He says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of Yahweh is, a, is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, pardon me for jumping around here, but now you yourselves, you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so we see there how that, you know, you can just read this and it makes sense that in contrast to, the, to false self-denial, the true self-denial is that we abstain from these things that Paul mentions, like fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, 
which is idolatry. And where do, where do we get these kind of standards from? We get them from the teachings of Yahweh's commandments. And so, to conclude, do not let anyone, do not let anyone deceive, cheat, or judge you for doing biblical things and ordering your life according to the Messiah's life, including festivals and Sabbaths. And may Yahweh richly bless. Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play.